0: All right, today I have with me uh, Philip Guo. I don't remember how we first got in contact, but I actually heard of you a long time ago because my uh, roommate in college—I uh, think he read your post about doing a PhD or something
1: like that. And did he do a PhD? Or he?
0: Yeah, he did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's still about. Well, he's, I guess he's about to graduate, but he's at okay. uh, Purdue. Um, he's doing chemical engineering. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is really fun. I I listened to. All four point five or or whatever of them. <laughs> I listened to this is like the fifth one. I guess is that number five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I listened to most of them. I mean, I didn't get through all of them because they're all super long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have this. I feel this massive imposter syndrome now. Really? I'm like not nearly as epic as any of these people you've had on before. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, number five. I got. I got to think of something cool to say. Because you have some pretty epic, you know, open source, Uh you know, people who are, you know, big in entrepreneurship and open source and communities and such. And I don't don't have any of these credentials.
0: (laughs) I mean, I feel like you have a lot to bring to the table because, you know, this podcast is not, doesn't, I guess I didn't want it to be just interviewing open source maintainers, but like... Anyone that you know, like stewards some kind of community, or or just cares about something and does it for a long time, yeah. And I think you definitely do that. Um, I think we, we talked earlier about this, like it, you know, with Michael, we, his episode was about like getting old in open source, but then you were like, oh, what about like getting old online, like yeah, on the getting web?
1: Old on the web. I think maybe that's maybe that's the title: getting old on the web. Y- you do a lot of
0: stuff, <laughs> even though you just said that you're not like. I guess that prolific. I mean I was just looking through like all the all the papers and the vlogs and the podcasts and just like so much stuff. Like I, I don't even know how you prep for, for talking with you honestly. Yeah,
1: that's that that's the fun part. You don't have to prep. I think we'll just go I, I will try to okay, maybe I'll guarantee this is the most random one. Maybe that's it. I can't mm. I can't like I don't. I'm looking through the bios of the five you, or four you've done so far. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. I think my strategy here is I have to be just be the most random.
0: <laughs> one thing that uh, since we were talking about like getting old on the web, you know, one like I liked. Uh, I think we both liked Nadia's posts on. Uh, it was like the tyranny of ideas. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking <laughs> the best next thing to recording a podcast with Nadia is just talking about her work yeah. <laughs> on a
1: podcast. Yeah, um, that, that could be a uh, a drinking game, or you know, you can drink non alcoholic drinks. Because I I was I did a podcast with this guy mm-hmm. I Haven't posted yet. He's a you know he's a data science uh, person at a startup, and uh, and we were originally going to talk about you know Nadia's independent research, you know, very popular independent research blog posts. We didn't end up talking about that, but like you know, two thirds of the way in, you know. He mentioned some Nadia other posts. So it's like a drinking game of how long can you go before you mention one of Nadia's blog posts? <laughs> and we, you, you just made like two minutes and then we we, we already gave up. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: I guess it resonates pretty well, like this idea that um well that you know people have ideas and we traditionally associate them with a person, but sometimes the ideas that you have kind of take on a life of its own. Um and she gave the example of, or, you know, like people might know you for certain things, um, and then you might want to do something different, and then you feel pressure to like continue to do the same thing. I think she used like the example of like Lil Wayne or something, um, and then like doing rock music instead of rap, or like I don't know, Kanye doing like whatever he wants. Um, and this idea that y- you kind of have to. Like, people expect you to do the same thing as before. And I see the same thing with me, where it's like, if I, people know me through Babel, then, you know, you're like the Babel guy, or like, that's, people are like, you got to write code. And then you're kind of doing, well, and I think if you wanted to, that's totally fine. Like, it's a, there's an alignment there. But I think it's when it gets out of alignment where like you want to do something different, but you feel like you can't because you're like trapped. And it's like, it wasn't some, you, you wanted to originally, and now you want to do something different.
1: Yeah, and it's um, yeah. I mean, I I relate to that a bit because thinking about um, I, mean, I guess I have these notes here that you sent me that I didn't look over until now. But I mean, you know, one idea is this idea of maintaining a web presence, right? this is getting old on the web. And um, you know, I've had a website, a personal website, up since ninety seven, which is you know twenty two years, right? <laughs> twenty two years, and the web, you know, most people probably early people probably had a website in like 95, right? So I'm saying like, I'm pretty old in web years because I remember the beginning of the web, right? Mm. You know, in the very first few years, no one had it except if you're an academic or in a science lab. But, you know, I would say like 1995 was probably the time when, you know, companies started going online, right? 94, 95 was when companies started going online and I went online in 97. So, you know, it's been over two decades and kind of seeing my web, what I want to do on the web evolve um, over time from purely personal stuff so my website started as just like photography stuff you know mm-hmm. i just like taking pictures doing photoshop stuff just whatever just putting it online i mean this is before all these photo galleries i just use it as a gallery and then it got into more writing and then it you know my website morphed into more of an academic web page as mm-hmm. i got a job and became more of a you know more of a building up my career as a researcher and as a professor and then the last two years you know, maybe this is a little Wayne thing or whatever like the last two and a half years I just went like straight in into video I'm just like right. forget all this writing I'm just going straight into video like a thousand percent and I, I I did feel some of this you know Lil Wayne or Kanye or whatever thing think like people knew me from writing right from hmm. both Long form writing and uh, blog posts and research papers and stuff. Then, this video thing, especially if you're in academia, it's like, who does like random <laughs> blogs where you're walking around, right? Or even the podcast thing where are talking to people. Like, that's just mm-hmm. not something that quote unquote serious academics or serious, you know, professors or researchers do. And then I'm just like, oh, just, like I'll just do it. So I didn't ever feel like that weird about it because I'm like, I knew that. 10 years ago or 15 years ago when I started writing a lot online, that was kind of a weird thing to do because I was supposed to be coding, right? I was like a computer science student. I was supposed to be writing code and you're supposed to be like proving yourself via code, right? And via, mm-hmm. you know, all the very macho code yeah, code culture stuff back then. Um, this was way before GitHub, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. just like, you know, free software, kind of the, you know, people read Richard Stallman essays and stuff, right? (laughs) This is like, you know, this is like Richard Stallman essays and like early Paul Graham essays back in the super early days, right? So, like, it was very much this kind of macho code culture. And then I I, I was very much into photography and writing about non-code, right? A lot of my writing is non-technical, totally not about code at all. It's totally not about code. And so, like, that was kind of a, you know... Disconnect from what expectations were. But then after I did it for a while, I just kind of became known implicitly as a person who wrote about a lot of this stuff that's not code. And that became normal. And then three years ago, when I switched to video, that seemed weird because it's like, whoa, you know, this vlogging thing or these podcasting, this is for like, you know, these are like f- what kids do, right? Like serious, quote unquote, serious adults are not doing these things. But I'm like, you know, oh, let's just try it and see and just run with it. And I've just been really happy with pursuing this new format, I still do write stuff, obviously, but I've put a lot more energy into video just to explore mm-hmm. that format. So I guess there has been that change from, you know, text to video. Um, and I felt pretty good about it so far. And I mean, the big thing is like, I don't need to make my living off it. And it's a hobby. So like it, and it's also like my identity isn't as much tied up into it. So I don't have as much of that, that inner show or that guilt. Or such, but that—that that was just what I thought of when you when you reminded me of that article.
0: Yeah, like this, you don't have this need to have to like make a new profile or feel like you're like pivoting or anything. It's just this is a consistent like movement that you've already done over the last years of going from like the white website with the photos and then writing and then video. It's like doesn't doesn't seem like that off. I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean there are pivots. Yeah, and it's all like you know in terms of the identity thing. It's like. I don't have separate websites, right? I don't have Mm -hmm. pseudonyms. I don't have a separate persona. It's all just on my website, which does make it kind of messy because there's so much stuff on it. So there, you know, (laughs) I I always, the most elegant thing is to have maybe separate presences so that each one is a cohesive unit. But, you know, just for simplicity's sake and for discoverability, I just put everything in one place. Um, So it does make it, more scattered, right? That's what I'm saying I, I hope to win the most random pod, most random podcast episode. It does seem scattered, right? Because I mean literally if you go to my homepage now, mm-hmm. I'll just read it to you. If you go to my homepage, you know, the homepage is a very academic one because the landing page, you know, it's mostly professional. So it's targeted toward academics and an academic audience, which was a conscious decision a few years ago because, you know, after I got my job, my first job, I need to build up my career, I, you know, the home is the academic home. So it's, you know, it's, it's for academic, but then the tabs are, you know, there's publications, there's all the PDFs of papers, which is very professional. Um, there's summaries of papers with blog posts that talk about research. There's a blog section. So those are, you know, have over 300, just 10 minute, usually 10 minute videos of myself talking and there are podcasts, which are, you know, which you've been on. Uh, those are usually 30 to 45 minutes of one-on-one and then there's a podcast hour which is my friend and i just do a regular thing just like the two of us we just do it every month or whenever we feel like it and we just you know it's kind of shoot the breeze and then there's like the articles like just you know hundreds of just you know there's essentially blog posts so and you know there's a category tab on the right uh with labels and they're like pretty random like it's basically just whatever i feel like writing about or making a video about and it's like it's pretty random so uh yeah, There's a lot of stuff there. I, you know, more can be done to make it more coherent and discoverable and everything. But I'm a big believer in just like putting content out there and just like just putting stuff out there if it'll be helpful to remotely helpful to some people. Not everything can needs to be appealed to everybody. That's the other theme, right? The nice thing about piling everything on is that if a very small subset finds some, something useful or inspirational, that's great. Most, you know, 99% of people are not going to care about it. That's fine. You know, it's yeah. all storage is cheap right so like it's fine to have it off there and people can search and index it how they want
0: yeah i almost find like the more i don't know like weird or unique the thing is i i don't know it makes it makes it easy to to wanna engage I, and i think um even though say we were talking about this idea of like the ideas becoming the thing rather than the person but i i also find that if i'm interested in something that someone is Good at or whatever expert in specifically, I might go and like learn more about what they 're about because I care more about the person rather than that specific thing I found them for initially yeah
1: I think so i, I and I think that the video stuff actually really helps with that because I was really thinking about you know, given you're learning the exact same thing, imagine like, I think I made a video on this. I've had a video on everything. Like imagine you spend 10 minutes watching a vlog on something or you spend that same 10 minutes just reading an article, a blog post about it. Same exact content, right? Exact same content. I think the video is just interesting because it gives you a peek into that person, right? You can see how they talk. You can see like, you know, little asides they make, where they're walking around, what their background is. It's, it's, it's like the closest to approximating being there with someone and someone just telling you a short story right, whereas if you're reading it's very sterile, it's very cold, it's very impersonal, it's almost like you're reading you know uh you know you're reading a book right you're reading a yeah. your own voice, so there is something about that, so it's, you know if you watch ten vlogs of me or listen to podcasts, you know one of the um phenomena that I see like when I listen to people's podcasts like uh you know, there's this professor, Roger Peng, who does, he has two podcasts. So he kind of inspired me to do podcasts because he was a mm-hmm. more senior professor. And he has one podcast about life in academia. And he has another one about data science. And both of them, he has a stable co-host. Like each one is two people uh, always hosting. And, um, and it's funny because I've listened to so many hours of him talk that I've only talked to him probably like, three times in my life but whenever I I had him on my podcast and then I talked to him about some research stuff um, it turned out one of the students who used to work with him at Johns Hopkins where where he works he became one of my PhD students so we talked about that and stuff so it's a lot of this informal networking but the funny yeah the upshot is when i talked to him i felt like i i already knew how to interact with him because i've right. heard him speak so much or right? i know his mannerisms i know how fast or slow he talks i know you know what it responds to so like i think that i think it'll be very similar if people are listening to podcasts that we're on you know you're same thing with you right like well, i i before i did the uh, podcast with you, I watched mm-hmm. a bunch of your talk videos and listened to some podcasts. There, so I knew mm-hmm. exactly what you sounded like in your manual and yeah, yeah. stuff. Right. So I think that's such a big benefit versus reading. Cause if you read, you have no idea what someone is like. You know, you might get some sense by how they write and like what they choose to write about, but you're often surprised when you see them in person. You're like, whoa, you don't sound like what I thought you'd sound like on paper.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess that's just a result of the medium. Like, I don't know. When I think about like, if you're going to read a whole book, it's like they spent, a really long time going through that versus like a vlog it's just more like off the cuff so i think it depends on kind of the content and like how much time
1: was oh paid. yeah yeah of course i mean there's obvious things you yeah. want to book for yeah <laughs> yeah you, yeah, you yeah. don't need to do everything on video but i'm thinking how far can you possibly push that format i think it's farther than most people think or right? most people have a gut reaction especially um people you know my age or older, the gut reaction is, oh, I don't want to watch a video. I don't want to listen to something. I'd rather read because I'm in control of it. I can skim it. I can go fast. I'm a fast reader. I can store it and stuff. All the usual things, which are true because people are used to reading a lot. But I think that once they start experiencing video or audio as a format, it's um it's it can be quite addictive, I think.
0: Well how do you like how do you decide what to even Talk about is it just that you are thinking about it? Because that seems to be the only way I can do things. Where it's like, if I don't do it right when I think about it, I'm probably just not going to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's 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 basically it. Like, um, I think that's right. I think you know exactly what you said, which is, I think if you set up your environment in such a way that mm. you know that 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 gulf between your thoughts and your actions can be minimized, mm. and that's that's the awesomest thing right so that's um you know in kind of classic you know user experience or human computer action terms they call it the gulf of execution so like this is a classic Uh don norman design of everyday things um the gulf of execution is you know i want to do something you know how do i do it so if you have a bad user interface it's a huge gulf it's like oh i want to like move this file from here to here and i have to click this thing i have to like do another menu or whatever, but if you just drag and drop, it's like much easier. So I think it's the same idea that, um, you know, uh, being able to capture your thoughts in the moment. So where for some people, they just write notes on their phone for myself. I just pull my phone out. I have a little lapel mic I just put on and I could just start recording these videos that are just 10 minutes long. Um, you know, bigger things, longer form writing research, obviously is, you know, it takes more time to incubate. You don't just think of it overnight. But
0: that might be a result of that, right? Like doing those small conversations with yourself leading to greater. That's right.
1: That's right. I think just taking plenty of notes, like I I read somewhere, I mean, this is all apocryphal, but you know, somebody said, you know, claimed (laughs) unsubstantiated claim that I believe in because I do it is that, you know, people who come up with, uh, substantive ideas they they're avid note takers right like they yeah, just yeah. write down everything they just jot down things and i you know i would like to believe it's true cuz that's what i do but i think it, there's a truth to it because you're externalizing these thoughts out right and you're prototyping you're writing them out and only when you start seeing it on the whiteboard or mm-hmm. on your notes or or you know in your google docs or whatever you can start seeing the shape of things so that's why like if you see my office or any setup I have my home office. I think you see a bunch of podcasts and vlogs with me in my home office. It's just I have several huge whiteboards at home. I have several huge whiteboards in my office at UC San Diego, my my faculty office. I have huge whiteboards in like lab spaces because like that's just what you do. You just put up the thoughts there, and then they start. You know, you stare at them and you you know write more, and they start molding into really coherent things. And it's a magical process, but like I just can't imagine holding that all in. And not externalizing it. Like I, I, I just can't imagine how, how that would work.
0: I feel like I've been dealing with this recently. It's just like frustrating because you're like, you know, there's something there. Like you, you have this initial like thought, but then it's, it's just like I don't know. Like I guess self censorship. You're like you don't want to go there for some reason, even though you kind of do. And then like, how do I get myself to actually like write it down? Or, or I was talking with my friend Devin. She just that has like a voice recorder, like just yeah, yeah, hard, voice recording. Like walking on the street or whatever. You just talking. Yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Um, but I guess because I'm not used to it, I, I don't. And I just, everything's in my head. And it's like, until I don't know if something happens where I feel like I have to do it. Um, it doesn't normally happen. And like, I think building that practice of writing it down or even just like asking questions if I want to go in a different direction of like, sometimes there are things I want to know about, but I almost feel like I just have my mind's blank. I don't have any, I'm not like curious enough to even go there.
1: Yeah. I mean the holding in your head doesn't, that may not be bad either because, you know, I think this idea of holding your head is not bad because you know, when, if it's, if it gets weighs heavily enough on your mind, then you will, be motivated right now <laughs> somehow. And by that point, it's already been turning so much that, you know, it's like a, you know, you're forming a diamond or a pearl or whatever <laughs> in your head.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just how it comes out. It's true. Like, if you're thinking about it for so long, like I was thinking about um, the talks that I give, um, all the talks that I give are pretty non technical, just in the context of, you know, whether it's open source or not. And I don't really have to like prepare anything because I'm just talking about like my life. You know, you just have to remember it through like looking at certain slides and stuff like that. And I guess it's the same way. Like, the, you know, I, I could go up there with nothing, and I guess you could talk for a long time too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I think, I think this kind of improvisational skill is, um, you know, I think the main constraint there is time, right? So, like, you know, after doing this for a while, like both the podcast and the vlog. And you know, just me public speaking a lot. I mean, I give lectures. All, mm-hmm. and that's my job, right? I teach. You know, I'm usually teaching classes, so several days a week, I'm doing public speaking. Essentially, right? I mean, teaching stuff, and then you know, I'm giving talks and stuff. And one thing that I've I've gotten a good amount of experience in is is being aware of time. Right. So, like, you know, you know that you have only five minutes to tell a story, then you just tell it in five minutes, right? If you have only one minute, mm-hmm. you tell the one minute version. So, um. Yeah, I think I think that that's something that's that just built up through experience. Going back to the
0: idea thing, I almost want to challenge this idea of like, do we want to be able to separate ideas from people? Because I feel like all the context of from where idea comes from, like I want to know like how did they come up with it, and like almost like this kind of like metadata
1: around. Yeah, I, I think that I like the idea. The idea, very meta. I like the idea of attaching it to to people or to groups of people because like you're saying, then you can start investigating what else are they doing? Because they must be, you know, kind of people who are creative, they must be doing related projects or they must Mm -hmm. have done something related in the past, right? So that gives you this web of knowledge that you're like, oh, I want to look into where were they when they did this, right? They were at a certain company or they were at a certain university. Who else were they hanging out with and what do they do, right? And this is it's this very organic network, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's right, that, you know, ideas are not, just in a vacuum disembodied from people. Yeah.
0: Like I, I think it's when something gets popular, it's easy to go off in different directions. But ultimately, yeah, it comes like every it's I, I guess I like the idea that it, it is attached in some way. And I guess this goes into like, um, I was reading to the, the guy I mentioned earlier, Mark Michael uh, Michael Polanyi, um, and how not that you know ideas are attached to people, but more like his book is called Personal Knowledge that like Knowledge that we have doesn't necessarily have to be like objective, in the sense of like verifiable. But like, even as a scientist, when you do research, you're applying what you know based on everything that you've experienced.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and taking a one step even farther. So this this idea, I I haven't read this book, but I think from what you describe, it's this idea that. We are bringing our our whole person into our mm. work, right? That that mm. you know, as as researchers or as you know, uh, 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 as artists or designers, you know, people who are doing generative work, we're you know, we're bringing ourselves into it, and that's what makes us hopefully have unique and novel work because of our life experience and such. And it and it's like. It's very hard to drop someone else in to do exact same thing. And I, you know, popping up one level farther, uh, this guy Bruno Latour, he had this New York Times article profile about his life's work, and he's a he is a, a, a kind of a sociologist and anthropologist. Uh, but instead of studying, you know, animals or animals socializing or you know children socializing or whatever, he actually has spent many years studying how scientists work together in labs, right? In, mm, in yeah. field work and in labs. He's basically studies the anthropology and the sociology of how science is made. And, you know, he has these really detailed studies and theories about, you know, basically his big thesis is that doing scientific research, which we feel as something quote-unquote really objective and very like, these are cold, hard facts about the universe you're discovering. It's quite a subjective and social and socially media experience based on the people involved, their power dynamics, their, you know, uh, their, their relationships to each other, you know, all these interpersonal things because, you know, science is done by people and it's done by teams of people and it's done by people who need to get funded people who need to rise in political power and it's like you know we've had these stories of dominant scientific theories dominating because of strong personalities and funding and you know secondary theories not really getting the you know the the ability to shine because that wasn't the dominant paradigm and then those older people, they kind of fade away and then a new th- kind of paradigm comes up and stuff. And it's extremely social, you know, it's like memes mm-hmm. and everything. Even in this like f- this areas in like the, the physical sciences that you feel like, okay, we're just discovering objective truths about the universe here. Come on. Like this is it's not supposed to be art or whatever. But you know, he kind of his he very proactively shows that even the most quote unquote objective thing we do, it's so socially mediated and subjective and Subjected to all of our biases and whims and 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 inner group relationships and everything
0: yeah I think that aligns exactly with uh, what Polanyi says like it's funny that we live our lives you know caring about relationship when, whether it's family or friends and like all that stuff and for some reason when you're in the lab you want to like not be a person and like be objective and like somehow trying to detach that kind of thing and I think it's even the same with like um even if it's like faith and, and work. And it's like you, you, you mm-hmm. feel like we have to like dichotomize everything. But it's like maybe it's because it's so hard to bring it together and like holistically live a life that, you know, has all these different aspects of ourselves and our values, stuff like that. And we don't We're want in to. an so open
1: we, source episode, you know, appendix mm-hmm. episode. You're transitioning into open source here. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it's totally a cross track. Yeah, I listened to that whole series too. See, I listen to all your stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I listened to all your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like that series, the Hope and Source series. Yeah.
0: I mean I guess even off of that topic, I, I think I something I liked that he said uh was about uh because I was reading into more of like I, I met I saw this other professor, um it's like Esther Meek, she's a philosopher and she interpreted his work in a more uh faith-related way. Um and I think her book was like Contact with Reality. Um, he talks about, like, how do we know what is real? Um, and his definition was uh, something like when you're able to see, like, future potential opportunities or possibilities. And what he means by this is that um, he has this concept, looking back a bit, uh, of ca- t- tacit knowledge, of knowledge that you might not be able to explain or understand within words. But things it's kind of like we know more than what we can say. And so his example is like people that, you know, you can play piano, like some kind of music, or you ride a bike, but you're not not being able to explain that to someone teaching them. And so he was saying that like, when you learn something new, you kind of, it brings about like, in your mind, it's basically just, you know, insight and imagination into, you know, when you learn how to ride a bike, you see everything in terms of being able to, Ride that bike to you know all these different places in the world, or knowing how to program opens up possibilities for you. And I think that's very like positive versus just like oh, I learned this fact about the world, yeah, and it closes in on the world versus opening up the world.
1: Yeah, that is that is really optimistic. Yeah, I like that idea. That um, that's right. That you know, uh, have developing these core skills opens up new things it opens up, it pushes the frontier outward, right? Of what the possibilities of what you can possibly do. And um, yeah, I, I totally see that. I mean, the, I mean, I'm more kind of, uh, a more pragmatic view of this, given what we're talking about is, uh, this is like very mundane, but like this idea that, you know, in my early days of making websites, it was all hand-coded HTML, like everyone did. And um, and I, this was 2006 was when I started, um, I made like a, basically i basically make a static site generator right there's a way because because i'm old this is way before that was a thing so <laughs> i was like wait this is so stupid i'm not i don't want to hand code all this stuff and i also didn't want to um, use you know php and just dynamically generate i mean people had a database backed site back then right you could use mysql right. and php and be like oh okay i have all my it's like wordpress right like wordpress style right um, but i'm like this is so silly and such overkill to have to host uh, you know dynamic scripts just to view some static web pages. And you know, I think when I was hosting my pages at school, uh, they had static hosting by default, right? So you had to handwrite write your HTML. You couldn't use PHP or Perl, or whatever, unless you got some special account or whatever. Right? Just for right, right. both security and just for resources, because it was like again back in the Stone Age. Um so like that got me to think creative. I'm like, oh, I want to make something that generates my HTML for me. So then I mm. made a essentially a static site generator. And the earliest one uh, it just—I mean, use Markdown. I think Markdown had only been out for like a year or two then. Um, this is 2006. I think Markdown came out like 2004 around then, uh, and then I use XML as the metadata, so I just kept all the tags and all the you know categories or whatever in XML, right. and I later poured that over to you know now all my files. My source files are are there's a YAML header that's the metadata, and then there's a markdown body, which is like pretty mm-hmm. standard. And I just have a bunch of Python scripts I wrote over. You know, it's a oh, crap. It's been like 15 years. <laughs> and all these scripts are just running every time I compile my webpage. It's a long-winded way of saying that when I got that ability to statically generate pages that were coherent, they had styling, they had Labels, it had tags, had everything. That just opened up the doors for me to write more, right? Because whenever I had an idea, all I would do is I just sit down my computer, I would just start typing in Markdown, which is text. I run my Python script, and then I uh, I sync. I I use this thing called Unison, but essentially it's like rsync. You just run a like an rsync command, essentially, and that just pushes it to your server and you deploy it. And it was like literally, I could write a new article and get it up at the speed of thought, right? I'm like, oh, I want to write something that I saw today. Bam, 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 I'm right. You know, run a script and it's up, right? And so like Mm -hmm. that opened up a huge possibility. Whereas, you know, I had friends who were like, oh yeah, I would love to like make a website. This is like, what, the mid 2000s like oh yeah that's cool like you know you're writing these articles about x and y and z i have all these ideas right it's like they're my friends are like oh i have these ideas about this and this i really want to do this but it's just such a drag to get started i don't know what i'm going to choose do i have to like do this wordpress thing and like i have to set it up and like it's just like such a grind to edit in the web browser back then and stuff and like people just don't do it because the friction's so high so like mm-hmm. the um by by just Building infrastructure, I mean, we can transition as I by building the software infrastructure myself and having it be really catered for myself. Uh, I it just pushed my frontier outward so that I could basically write anything I want and push it online super easily. And my last note on this is I basically did the same thing with my video workflow. So, like, hmm. basically, you know, nowadays all I have to do is record on my phone or my Digital camera. I plug the SD card in, or I do wirelessly. I do a YouTube upload, and that's already on YouTube. So that's already good enough. I do a YouTube upload. That's good enough. But if I want to um, also cross-post it on my website and on a, 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 like an iTunes podcast feed, I again have a script workflow. I run a script. It grabs it from YouTube. It rips out the audio. It puts the right metadata in, and it pushes it to my website and it pushes it to um, to my RSS feed for my podcast. So like it's just so easy so now like whenever i want to record an idea i can record a video of an idea uh knowing that it can be pushed on youtube and pushed as an audio stream or or i can write an article and push it on my website so like that just opens up a tremendous creative frontier because Then I can just keep writing and making videos and stuff, right? It's it's not because I have any better ideas or I'm smarter than other people. It's just that (laughs) I've set up the infrastructure so it's so easy for me to do that I just do it more. And that's kind of gets to your point in your notes about like just how do you just produce more content, right? I think it's Mm -hmm. setting up the right infrastructure and environment so that there's that gulf of execution is so small and that friction is so low.
0: You have to build that base knowledge and, and set up the infrastructure, but then also like not being scared of like what people think and like the feedback and yeah,
1: oh that's another one. We can get a hold. Of
0: it. It's weird when you write it like if you wrote it in your journal like you're not sharing with anyone and you're still I don't know why like it's you know that blank piece of paper you're still scared or like recording a podcast because you don't like the sound of your voice like all those things and it's like how do we get ourselves to be okay with that like building that. That practice,
1: yeah. yeah. So I have a I have many thoughts on this. Um, my first thought is that I okay, this, this okay. You have to title this episode like "Growing Super Old on the Web." Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is gonna sound like a super old cranky guy thing to say, but like. I basically grew up on the web without user-generated content, right? So there were mm. no comment sections, there was no social media. When you publish stuff on the web, the web was a document, a static document publishing format. So when you put up your pictures, when you put up your blog post or whatever, and in the early yeah. days, in the text-only web, I read all the time. Right? I read people's articles about Magic the Gathering or yeah. You know, Doom or Quake or video games, it was all just static text. A lot of it was just like readme files or just simple HTML. There was, you know, Usenet and forums have always been around, Bulletin Board Service and forums. You know, there's always been a culture of uh, discussion forums, um, uh, but that that was separated from the actual sites. So all these years that I've had my website up, I've never had a comment section at Mm. all. I've never had a comment section. I've also, on YouTube... I I just disable all the comments by default on all the videos. So like I basically made it so that my public presence is a publish only static format so that I don't actually have any of the any of the modern things at all. And I found that, at least for myself, to be a a big benefit. And um and I encourage people who are getting started to to adopt that at least in the beginning, because mm-hmm. uh, you know. Be, because of that fear of comments and and such. Um, I mean I obviously understand the the role of them in building a community and 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 everything but uh but yeah that's just what I that path that I've personally taken. I, I'm very happy to have taken that and it's not because I had some master plan it's just because one <laughs> I'm really old and two I never bothered to implement all those features. Yeah. I never bothered to implement commenting or integration with any social media or anything just cuz I just had a simple static website I had nothing else on it that you couldn't do anything on it.
0: I mean, I think it worked out because knowing that that was how the web originally was—this publish only, you know, separate discussion forum type idea—like I feel like we're moving back to that again. Like all, the, like everyone that has comments, they're trying so hard to get comments, and then realizing they're so low quality that right. all <laughs> these sites are getting rid of them, and then all of us are like, "Oh, we don't want likes and like all these things now because it doesn't actually like." I think we're learning that we don't really want engagement, we want like quality conversation and discussion. And that doesn't happen in this weird like async thing. And maybe you want like more of a, you know, like in-person type like discussion. And which is why maybe people like podcasts because it's like more intimate and like actual like you feel like there's someone on the other side rather than just like some detached, you know, random username.
1: Yeah, wow, you okay, we are we are 37 minutes in and assuming we'll go, you know, we'll go 60 minutes or maybe a bit more. This is like the, you know, let's say the halfway or two thirds point. And you just said like the gem that we're going to, we're going to start, you know, the highlight. So, or, so I'm <laughs> say this, that when I've been doing podcasts, right, or even blogs, I think that like the beauty to thinking about earlier about, you know, writing an essay or article versus doing podcasts and blogs, I, I have a video about this, I have a video about everything, is that You can generate ideas or thoughts or exchanges that you just can't do if you're just sitting in front of a blank piece of paper or a word processor typing. Like what you just said, you wouldn't have have come up with it if you're just like, Oh, I'm just going to sit there and write about (laughs) an identity and blah, blah, blah. It's because we had this thing going. And usually I find when I do these podcasts, people, it takes around 30 to 35 minutes before it's like, All right, now it's on, you know? Uh, and I think when you were on my podcast, I think it took around that long. I think you spent the first 10 minutes talking about getting a haircut or cutting your own hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, <laughs> cutting your own hair.
0: Something. Uh, actually, speaking of that, this is total tangent, but um, my my friend was going to get a haircut. And I was like, oh, I guess I should too. He's like, do you want to cut it for me? He's like, sure. And so he came to my place. He's never done it before. So we, I, I just asked him like, buzz it nice. or, or, or just cut it. And then I was like, oh, we should record a podcast while you're... Uh, oh, nice. Cutting nice. my haircut. Because I thought it would be funny.
1: <laughs> is that going to uh, be part of Maintainers Anonymous or something else?
0: I didn't I didn't publish it. I just thought I just recorded it. So was, no, that was great. That's
1: a great idea. Like I love this idea of let's just record it and see what happens. Like it may suck. It doesn't matter if it sucks. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And if it uh if there's a nugget that's great, great. If we're just gonna put it online, it's great. Maybe this is the start of a new it's like how like like what's his name? LeBron James has some like podcast series where he's in the barber shop talking with you know athletes, oh, really? their celebrities,
0: right? Oh wow, I didn't. I was like, I wonder if someone done. I, I feel yeah, like LeBron James have... has
1: something. I think. And I, I, I think they have. Well, I mean, this is like LeBron James is not the first friend So like you know, like the African American community, like the barbershop yeah, 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 scene is sure. like a big community scene for that community. So you know, he t- he's a, obviously a huge celebrity. So he took that vibe and then. Try to replicate that, uh, you know, with you know, in that format and stuff. So you could have the, you know, uh, Henry getting a haircut. You know, everyone goes over and just tries to give you a haircut, and then you talk to them.
0: <laughs> no, I think it'd be funny because it's like it only happens every once in a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. It's like a rare gem, and like people are like all self conscious, like, oh, I don't know what to do. You're like, don't worry, let's just let's just do it, and like it's okay, you know, hair will grow back.
0: Yes, exactly. And if it doesn't work out, you can just like buzz the whole thing.
1: So. Yeah. I like this attitude in that um, you know, my dad he cut my hair when I was little. My mom also kinda of did too, but my dad learned to cut his cut hair because you know, he cut his, you know, little brother's hair. And also like you know, they lived in China back in the, you know, 60s or, or whenever. And like a bunch of people lived in, you know, an apartment complex. So he would just like practice cutting other kids' hair because no one had any money. He's so, like, uh, I need to get a haircut. So and he would just volunteer to do it. And he like would learn from other people and he got pretty good at cutting hair. And like, I think it's the same thing as you. It's just like, if you're willing to just try it and like the consequences aren't that bad, right? Just grows right. back. it's fine. So that's, I think that, that, Kind of philosophy applied to things is um is can be really you know powerful. Having the
0: freedom to just try things and think things is uh, it's hard, and I think I've been struggling with that until well, no, I'm still struggling with it. But like especially this past year of like uh, doing open source, like quote unquote full time, and what that means, and how you want to define it, and like not having a set schedule, and just like embracing. Trying new things, like being okay with experimenting, like I think if you do have the time and the freedom to do it, then why wouldn't I be doing this rather than like continuing doing the same thing where I know like the result? It's like like going back to like those future possibilities. Like I don't know what's going to happen, and so that's exciting to
1: me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and sometimes you know I'm thinking about things that I have to do, and I'm like, all right, the best case outcome is that this thing gets done, and you know the The train keeps on the track and it's fine. And it's like I have to do it. It's fine, right? It's like you have to like I don't know. You have to like take a shower, or you know, like take out the trash or whatever. It's like errands, right? Yeah, you got to do it, right? The best case outcome is the trash gets taken out, right? But like if you don't do it, then the trash smells. But yeah, but like very rarely in life do we get this chance to open up new possibilities. And you're in a situation where you can, and it's and it's pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even this uh, trip back to or I w- I went to Boston for like mm-hmm. a week and i was like well i don't didn't really want to like didn't really care about the thursday thing so i just try to meet up with people and then like i i went to like a sister church like prayer meeting on monday when i Mm -hmm. when i came in on train and i met someone there and then on wednesday i was just walking to lunch with another friend and i just saw him on the street and i was like that's so cool yeah Um, i've been like i don't know i want to write about this i don't know what i would say it's just like so cool to have those like kind of spontaneous chance encounters with people where I don't know your schedules just happen to line up, and then you might see someone and you weren't you know you weren't planning on seeing them but it just happened to they're there, and I feel like that happens so often in the city like especially in New York like on the subway just like every once in a while like every few weeks like just someone. So when you know, maybe even from like high school, they just came to visit their friend or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a cool thing, and it's like it's it's kind of like riding a wave, right? Like when you're in a certain time when there's high amount of stimulation, a lot of people kind of colliding into each other, and you know, school is one of those times, right? I mean, that's why you know the college experience, if you know, in certain situations, can be this time where a lot of like-minded people of similar age and interests are colliding together in very random sort of spontaneous ways. And you know, there can be good and there can be bad that comes out of it. But it's much harder if you're say, you know, working and commuting from the suburbs and you have an office job and you live in the suburbs and you're driving in your car and you go to work, you see the same, you know, 10 people in your in your group and you're in your cubicle. Then you know, it's five o'clock, you go back to your car you drive on the way home, you know, you have the same commute, and then you have your home. Like, yeah, that's a fine life, but you don't get that sort of collision, brownie in motion sort of thing, right?
0: Yeah, and it's like, how do you balance those two things? Because part of me is also, like, a lot of people are like, wow, you have a, such a great life. You can, like, go to conferences and travel the world and stuff. But, like, I don't like traveling that much. And I think it's important to, like, have that stable community. Yeah. Like, people that you can go back to, like, whether it's your, uh, I guess, not work- workplace at this point, but you know, your your family, your friends, or you know, your church, like this local place that you can consistently see the same people, mm-hmm. versus feeling like you have to like do the whole, what was it digital, don't uh, nomad, yeah, where you're like going everywhere and you don't really, you're not like tied anywhere. And then I feel like if you keep doing that, you're gonna feel like you don't know what you're doing, you don't know where you're going, like the direction there is no direction
1: yeah i think mean, that is a tough balance to strike and it's it's funny because when i uh when i was in college my internships i interned for two summers in college i have a video about this too got a video about everything uh, <laughs> um at this company that was right near my parents house and you know for various family reasons i wanted to stay close to home so i lived at home you know many of my friends in college then were interning at like you know the hippest companies, which back then was Microsoft, and I guess it's now kind of Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. Right? For many years, it wasn't Microsoft, right? So it's like when I was in college, in the beginning of college, Microsoft was like the the big company that you really wanted to get internship at, and then for many years it wasn't the top company, and now like you know with all this open source and the revival of Open source stuff. Now it's becoming more appealing for internships. But anyways, so my, while my friends are at places like Microsoft or other kinds of companies, I was at home, living at home. You know, not in you know any major metropolitan areas in the suburbs. And I drove literally you know five minutes to this gigantic cube farm of an office. It was gigantic, and then you know it was just endless rows and rows of cubicles. I got in my cubicle, sat there for eight hours. I didn't talk to anybody. I was the only intern there. 'Cause it was like a remote office and there were other, you know, other people who did the exact same thing. And then it was five o'clock, it came around, and everyone just kind of like left one by one the building. We all just drove home. And then I was like, I was what, 20 years old? And I was like, Yeah, I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> I experienced this for two summers. I'm like, wow, yeah, I don't think I'm feeling this the rest of my life. So that's why, I, you know, pursued grad school and research and doing all these other kinds of odd, you know unusual things but i think having that experience firsthand was key because otherwise i didn't know how that felt right well it's just the idea that you know that there is a great amount of freedom but then it's up to there's a lot of burden on you to put structure around it right because other people i mean maybe this is it's not really the tyranny of ideas thing but it's similar it's like people are expecting you to have a certain lifestyle like oh henry you have so much freedom you know uh, you better take advantage of it. And you, you're like, oh, am I taking advantage of it? And like, travel is like, I don't really like to travel that much. But like, should I maximize my travel now? Because later I'll have to settle down. I can't travel right. as much. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then also there's this, like, I don't want like, we're not completely fixed either. So maybe I don't like travel and maybe I should do it more. So I do like it. Maybe I shouldn't do it more because that would be bad if I liked it too much. Like, you know, like, hey, it's just like, then I go back to like, okay, I'm just like too too much anxiety again, like I, I thought the point of having the freedom is so that you shouldn 't have to worry about all this stuff, and i 'm just doing it again to myself and okay, so getting back to freedom it 's like you you 're actually free to do whatever you want, but then you still trap yourself and there's I, I remember reading this study um well i I read this book in this uh, book club with stephanie she was in the the other two, the first or second and third episode. Uh, we read this book called The Body Keeps the Score.
1: Is this a remote book club or in person? Or are you meeting remotely? Google hangout. Oh, cool.
0: I mean, that's not the easiest book to read because it's very there's a lot of like studies and also it's about trauma, so it's not like fun read or right, anything. Right. But um a lot of it talks about this idea that uh, people that do go experience trauma, you know, they I think a lot of people understand that like. You know, it's almost like they're stuck in the past. You know, that there's, but then the title itself, right? The body keeps the score. That this trauma leaves a mark on these people, not just in their mind, but li- like maybe even literally
1: mm-hmm.
0: in their body. That the body has some kind of you know, unquote memory, um, and it remembers. And so, how do we get people to live in the present and look toward the future rather than like recreating or re-remembering? that past event like because they're frozen in time almost
1: yeah i mean that's a super serious issue and and i mean it's totally i mean i don't know the science behind this too much but i mean it's totally plausible right like your body's stress response to things mm-hmm. if you had a traumatic upbringing or, or stuff like you're physiologically different right you you're you get more tense you have more of a stress response your blood pressure you know all that stuff whereas someone who didn't have a traumatic upbringing or, you know, people who go to war, right? I mean, that's a very typical thing, right? If you've been in a war situation or, you know, genocide or something, even facing normal everyday things, your body physiologically reacts differently than someone who grew up without those traumas. Yeah. I mean, it's totally a, you know, it's a real thing.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the problem is that we tend to think a lot of the issue is in the mind. So like, Oh, you just gotta like think differently or whatever, stuff like that. And it's like, some of the solution is, They talk about how there's like multiple aspects of this. So there's like top-down approach, bottom-up approach, and then I would say medicine. So top-down is more like the talking. You know, how do you tell a different story of what happened and and the the future of your life? And the bottom-up is more something that people are looking to know now. Like you know, actually moving, like doing yoga or like you know, like massage or, or acupressure, like those kinds of things and how that affects our bodies versus all like talking to people and getting them to think differently. And I think that applies really well not just for trauma but just like in general like mm-hmm. we tend to um make this huge distinction. We've been talking about this a lot this podcast like this distinction between body and like mind and like you know th- those kinds of things.
1: I think it's interesting. I mean <laughs> Going well. First of all, I have no you know I have no expertise in any of this stuff. This stuff is like way several levels way too serious than than anything I know stuff about. I mean, there are people obviously who are professionals who study this stuff and who practice this stuff, and you know I, I would encourage people to get professional advice on this, and uh, you know not listen to me blabber on a podcast about any of this. So I won't. Yeah, no, we're left.
0: definitely not going to give advice on this.
1: The thought there that I had was um, this whole mind body thing is. I think that again, just going with this theme of more lighthearted theme of getting older on the web, is that I think that as you get older, this mind-body connection I think becomes more concrete because, like, you physiologically feel the effects of stress or fatigue or you know, uh, if you're multitasking too much, being overwhelmed, overstimulated. It's like I t- I remember this right because ten years ago, you know, I'm 35 now. Ten years ago, I was 25. I could do the Henry, I mean, I did exactly the Henry thing. I went to, I went to Boston to visit friends. I was in graduate school in the summers. I would just like backpack around, you know, sleep on people's couches and like, you know, eat junk food late at night and stuff. And it was all good. And now if I attempted to do even a 10th of that, I would like just roll over, right? Like, like I, I very acutely feel the effects of fatigue and a need, the need to rest and all that stuff. And like, so my, I feel like you know, as I'm getting older, my mind and my body are getting more connected. Because if my mind is more tired or more irritated, I actually feel it in my body. Whereas when I was younger, it's like your body can just do whatever, right?
0: It, that's funny you say that because it's like, why? My question is like, how do we design, you know, infrastructure systems, websites, so that we do feel that? And I think the reason why I'm more cautious about it, I guess, now, and I'm thinking about it. Um, uh, even now is because I do have physical issues. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I have my own health problems and that led me to be more aware. And it's not like yeah. I want people to have health problems, but like <laughs> having having issues helps you I guess, you know, understand your fragility or mortality in, yeah. in life. Like it helps you appreciate everything more and and I it's so it's a huge struggle to like I guess go through that when you're younger, but um somehow I can see it as a blessing. Even though I wouldn't have wanted that, like it's like, you know, learning hard lessons through these sufferings or whatever. But
1: yeah, I mean that that goes with the theme. I mean, I don't want to go too deep in this because yeah. I mean, but it goes with the theme of telling the story thing, right? It's like you're 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 telling yourself a different story about reinterpreting. I, there's there are real terms for this. That I don't know. Right? It's like reinterpretation or something, right? Um, uh and. You know, a lighthearted example of this is like last year, a year or a half ago, I like broke my foot for a stupid reason because I fell over trying to move some boxes. It was like totally unwarranted. I like didn't put my shoe on properly and I just like tripped and I like had a hairline fracture on my foot. But long story short, I couldn't walk for like two months. I had to be on like a scooter thing and like I had limited mobility. So as a consequence, I actually just slow, you know, this is the mind body thing. I actually just end up slowing down what I did. Like I couldn't like run from meeting to meeting or blah, blah, blah. I had to plan out stuff. I had to space out things. And then I realized I was like, wow, this is like you know, this is a blessing in disguise in that like if I wasn't if I didn't have my foot break, I would just try to keep accelerating and go, go, go and do more stuff. And then I'm like, I actually kinda like slowing down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I actually like slowing down. And then after my foot's recovered, I've kept try to keep that philosophy Mm. as much as possible. It's like Just as a very simple thing, like, what if you did everything 10% slower, right? Like, walk 10% slower, space out your stuff 10% more, you know, put a 10-minute break between when you're talking to people, whatever, you know, type slower even, right? Just like, don't be just in a rush to just like slam on the keyboard and just like do everything and click, 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 you know, like, stuff still gets done, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's important. Um... I think you talked about this on a recent vlog about like rest and... Yeah, I talked about
1: everything I recently. Right.
0: <laughs> it's really like, I feel like the progress of like just ourselves and culture is all about efficiency. Yeah, and like yeah. this, this idea that technology is going to save us and everything is about like going faster. And so because we know that, then we know that we're going to have to be very intentional about rest because we're just not going to do it. Yeah. And so how do we like for ourselves and for everyone like how do we encourage that kind of behavior to to think that way because like i don't you don't have to tell someone to go faster but you i think it's really like we all want to tell each other to to go slower so
1: yeah that's an interesting topic because like you know growing up you know i i was very self-driven and you know i i you know did all this stuff on my own accord. And my parents and relatives were always like, oh yeah, you know, it's cool. Yeah, it's good. You're working hard on the stuff and stuff, but you should slow down and get better sleep and whatever. Yeah, I don't think my health habits were terrible, but you know, it's stuff the parents say, right? They're like, oh, you should eat well and sleep better and just take it easy and like, you know, enjoy life or whatever. And I always always saw that as an older generation telling you the things, right? It's like, okay, like, yeah, you're in middle age or older, it's like your grandparents or whatever telling you, You're like, okay, like, yeah, that's just what parents and grandparents say. Um, and I, I guess the challenge there is how can we convey this message to people who are younger or not even younger, who are peers, but you know, give them the confidence that look, you can still accomplish really interesting and creative things. You can do what you want to do, uh, but you you can have a more sustainable way of doing it. This is not like telling you you have to retire now and quit. Whatever ambitions you have, you can still do all that, and it's actually better for you to have a more sustainable mindset. And uh, you know, part of that is modeling the behavior. Part of it is talking to people one-on-one. Um, but but it's hard. I think it's really hard because I remember being in that mindset when I was younger. I'm like, oh, I don't want to listen to you know my parents or grandparents saying I should slow down because that's just what they say. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I almost feel like now the part of the solution is remembering the whole like how we how our mind and body are connected because I mean, you know we're talking about like health i think understanding like our health better would help us but i think the thing is is like because everything is becoming more digital it makes us not have to think about our body that we can yeah. just
1: yeah no, that, that i think it's a real thing yeah that's a real concern right so it's like yeah i i remember this cuz there are times when it's like my brain gets so fried right but you know, my body's fine because I'm just sitting there in a chair all day, you know, uh, being on the computer and like doing all these things that are just exhausting for my mind, but my body doesn't feel it as much, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like, you know, the the other analog is, if you're outside, you know, doing construction work all day, you know, no one has to convince you to take a break, right? If you're outside hammering on stuff and doing hard work all day, you put in a, a hard day of work, you know, however many hours, you can take a break guilt free, right? Like, no one's gonna fault you for taking a break or having resting your body because, like, yeah, you have to do that. Otherwise, you'll like break your back and you can't go and work and make your livelihood. But you know, with mental work, more um, uh, exactly. kind of work on the computer, you know, people can just do it all day and all night. And like, and, and you might feel guilty. I mean, this is the whole twenty four seven thing. You might feel guilty if you're not working because, like, oh yeah, I can do. It. I can just stay up a little more, and just you know, just fix one more thing, and then it's just. But it's like if you're a in construction or in some kind of physical job no one would ever think to say like oh you should stay overnight and keep building this thing for like a 20-hour shift while we all go home right no one would ever do that
0: (laughs) yeah and then just thinking about like uh athletes right they're professionals and the rest is like super important they have coaches that teach them like How they should sleep and eat and everything, and then we're technically professional programmers, and we don't do any of that. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: like terrible. We're
0: known for like everything that is wrong with us. Like, yeah, we have like hackathons we (laughs) we should encourage during college, and then you stay late, you eat pizza, and like it's like I don't what what are we doing?
1: Yeah, and and it's it's interesting because that's right. So I mean, the athletes, you know, my my friend Jean Yang, she you know she tweets a bunch about this about kind of trying to treat yeah you know, she's doing a she was a professor at Carnegie Mellon she's now doing a, a computer security, a data security type startup. And like she talks a lot about you know, the intensity of research and also building a company from scratch. and but how it's so important to, say, learn from what high level athletes do. right These people are, you know are are doing harder stuff than most of us will ever do, yet they prioritize rest. they prioritize nutrition, recovery. And like, you know, if you actually look at how much they practice, yeah, they practice a good amount, but they're not actually working at high peak intensity for that many hours, right? Because you just physically can't do that, right? No matter who you are, it's it's actually detrimental to work at, you know, physical intensity for too long because you're just gonna, you know, like it's, it's all physiological,
0: right? I think I remember a podcast with LeBron and he was talking about like recovery being like, super important, like, first class, right?
1: Yeah, so it's like Tim Ferriss and LeBron and his, like, coach, right? It's like LeBron's, like, conditioning coach or something. Yeah, yeah. And it was like this, you know, his coach, like, rarely gave interviews and they talked about their strategy for, you know, making sure they had to keep him in good shape. Because, like, the thing with LeBron, he's not young, right? I mean, he's been doing it for a while. And to keep that peak shape, knowing that as you get older in in sports, you know, you just physiologically, you're not going to be... In the same shape as you were five years ago, but how do you keep keep on top? Um, that's that's definitely. I mean, actually, if we want to circle back in the last few minutes, to this theme of maintenance or sustainability. I think that's a great way to think about it. Like sustainability and maintenance of just your own mind and body. Right?
0: Yeah, it's so funny because my I remember I was telling my mom like, "Hey, I'm gonna like quit my job and do this thing open source full time," and she's like. She, she was like, hey, before you maintain anything, you got to maintain yourself and your health. Nice.
1: That's, a, that's a great, yeah, there we go. That could be the slogan for your your podcast. Your mom's quote is, I mean, it's so right.
0: <laughs> and then of course, going back to not listening to your parents, of course, I, I, I'm saying, yeah, that makes sense, but I'm not going to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But now you see your parents were right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Always. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think this may, this sustainability, I mean, just longer term thinking about what we've talked about this hour. Um. Sustainability is really on my mind nowadays. I think I think that would be the big difference between myself at age thirty five and at you know twenty or twenty five. That uh, I think a lot about the kinds of work I like doing, the kinds of stuff I, I enjoy doing, both personally and professionally. How do I sustain this longer term? I mean, it could morph, right? It could change into different things over time, right? It's like, mm-hmm. but uh, not just a flash in the pan. How do you? sustain a career you know or sustain a, a long-running hobby and things and and i i do think a good amount about that because you know i you know it's you only have one life and you want to sustain doing the stuff that you want to do as much as you can
0: i guess that's a good place to end Or how would uh if people want to know more about like what you're up to um I guess you posted that article recently about research design patterns, which... Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about that earlier, but I mean, never got into it. Well, there's so much.
1: Yeah, there's so much there. I mean, you can just link to it and people can... can re- yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, it's probably not worthwhile to summarize a blog post and <laughs> rehash it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can link to I mean, just put up a link to my website, just like pgbovine.net, and my website has a bunch of stuff uh, on it. Um,
0: I mean, I, I just liked it because... I didn't think it was specific to research it's just I was just thinking about coming up with ideas for myself on like open source or just life and like thinking through those things like trying different ways of of doing that.
1: Yeah I mean there are really kind of creativity design patterns that you could rename that creativity patterns or something right it's just kind of ways to get your brain to think outside the box and stuff and i think like i don't want to go too broad because like yeah. there are people in the brainstorming and the design scene who have a lot of these exercises right for like divergent thinking and like you know there's a lot of these sort of design exercises that you can do to help you kind of reach different spaces in design so i liked my article being more specifically about academic yeah. research because it's something that's more grounded. And that's another meta theme that I think came up a lot during this hour is like, how when do you go meta and think really mm-hmm. broadly and when do you just go specific? And if you notice, I like having really specific examples, right? I'm like, especially from my own experiences, right? It's like super specific example and then you can use that as a case study for a broader for a broader theme, so like I would not be able to write like a philosophy paper or something, right? Because I, I I can't think in that high like level. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I guess that's that's more like finding all the specific things and then seeing patterns, but not that you know, not everything has this unifying theory
1: or whatever. It's that's just... right. I mean, the world is messy, right? The world. The conclusion is that the world is messy. Yeah, I think that's good. And all right, <laughs> man. Well, thank you so much for uh for hanging out. And I think I I hope that uh, this was random enough. So I would look forward to your summary of this and, and, and hope that, it's like, that you cover the, the gamut of the randomness that we covered.
0: Yeah, anything to think through the title. Cool.
1: Yeah, all right. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening.
0: Check out our website, maintainersanonymous.com for show notes and transcripts. If you have any feedback, ideas, or guest suggestions, you can reach me on Twitter at left underscore pat. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash